The real dividing line between the West and, and uh, those who were the subjects of colonization with this ideology is really faith. You know, people in Africa take their faith so seriously, they are on the firing line. Uh, there were 5,500 Christians killed last year, 90% of them were killed in Nigeria. So when you look at this, uh, these are the ones who, they are not willing to adulterate the faith because they're willing to die for it. We need to have that kind of commitment that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is our daily bread. And so we will live by that, we will embrace that. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. Welcome to Outstanding. I'm your host, Joseph Backholm. So glad that you are with us today. I am joined by two very special guests today. We have Ben Johnson and Joy Stockbauer, both from The Washington Stand. Friends, welcome. Thanks for having us. Good to be with you. We are so glad to have you, and you have each written something uh, in the last few days that uh, we're going to cover. They're kind of related. They're different, but they're related. And I think, Joy, we're going to start with your article first. And the title here is interesting. It says, Women, we must not kneel before the trans patriarchy. Uh, Tell us what's going on. Sure. So... This week on the Drew Barrymore show, and you know, if you're familiar with Drew Barrymore, she started her career as an actress. She actually started as a very little girl in one of my all-time favorite movies, E.T. Um, and so she's gone on to build this career as you know, somewhat of a lifestyle commentator and an influencer. And now she has basically a talk show where you know she'll have guests on and just have a chat with them. And so this week on her show, she had a radical trans activist, Dylan Mulvaney, who for the last year has been documenting daily what he calls his journey of girlhood, not womanhood, mind you. This is a 26-year-old man, and he is claiming each day to be living life more and more as a girl. And he's got like this daily diary of what it means to be a girl. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, a lot of it, and and I believe he has a musical theater background, so a lot of it he comes at with this parodying attitude, but he very much blurs the lines between where he's joking and where he actually thinks that women behave that way. He's pretty flamboyant, right? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen clips. I don't follow the guy. And actually, Ben, you don't strike me, frankly, as like a big TikToker. Is, Is that fair? That's a very fair assessment. Okay. Before you had read Joy's article, did you know who Dylan Mulvaney was? I knew him only because he interviewed the president of the United States. Touche. So it was was surprising to me, of course, the the degree to which the Biden administration leans on these TikTok influencers with men with seven inch nails and things of that sort to get their message across. And let's drill down into that for a moment. Why has this guy who I think has kind of come on the scene through social media very recently, like in recent months, I don't even know if it's been a whole year. Why does he have an audience with the president of the United States? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fantastic question. And I think that the Biden administration is tapping into where they see an avenue for popularity with the American people. And for whatever bizarre reason, they've honed in on the fact that Dylan Mulvaney has a massive audience of young people. And I think, you know, progressives overwhelmingly would say that, you know, their audience is young people. Those are the voters that they're targeting. They want the young generation. They want the the college students. They want women. Um, and so for whatever reason, Dylan Mulvaney has a massive, I mean, over millions of, of followers who, you know, they really care about him. Um, 
And this isn't to say that people shouldn't care about him. I'm grateful that people care about him. But I think it brings into focus the question of what it means to really care about someone. Yeah, and, and let's dig into that. <laughs> That's exactly the question I was going to ask you. When you say you care about someone, um, they what the concern is now is that we're caring about him in the sense that he's becoming an authority figure, right? And specifically, an authority figure on what it means to be female, it seems. Is that a fair assessment of this? Yeah, very much so. I mean, Drew Barrymore didn't have him on her show so that she could give him pointers on what it means to be a woman. She had him on her show to discuss their shared experiences, seemingly as women, of you know facing the public eye and the struggles that come with being a woman in the public eye. Now, is that... I did not, in, in, in full disclosure, I did not watch the entire interview. Um, so tell, is that what this was? She was having him come on and say, how can we share about and talk together about what it means to be a woman? Well, you know, not entirely what it means to be a woman, but this week he had basically a variety show where he completed this journey of 365 days of girlhood. And so she had him on this week as part of the focus of, you know, evaluating this event, talking about what he was going to be doing there and what it meant to him. But in this moment, which has gone viral now, where she kneels, she gets down off of her seat and she gets on her knees on the floor in front of him. They're they're having this heart to heart about the people who are their greatest critics. And she's talking about how, you know, throughout her life, she has been one of her own biggest critics. And they're, they're having this very emotional, dramatic experience in front of this studio audience. And, you know, it's live streamed, it's on TV. Um, and so there's just this manufactured vulnerability about the whole moment that I think is really uncomfortable. I mean, everything about it is uncomfortable. Yeah, when you, when you see, I mean, in, you capture it well in, in the title of your article that women must not bow before the trans patriarchy because that's the image. If you have this picture is Drew Barrymore, who's actually female, on her knees in front of this guy who has made his name to this point by pretending to be female. Ben, how do you interpret that scene? Well, I, I thought it was kind of striking because Drew Barrymore has always cultivated an image as a girl boss. You know, she she had starred in Charlie's Angels. She has her own production company. And, you know, even though she's uh, very much uh, uh, sort of a flower child, she's also been an industry leader, as uh, as Joy was saying, from her very early childhood. So this is someone who is supposed to be speaking out on behalf of all women, creating spaces and opportunities for fellow females in Hollywood, not to have to go through the corrupt system of typified by people like Harvey Weinstein. And here, all of a sudden, she is literally on her knees in front of a man. Now, you talk, Joy, you just mentioned the fact that their conversation was about how to deal with critics. And that is actually a helpful conversation for people to have. And the fact of the matter is Dylan Mulvaney has a lot of critics because Dylan Mulvaney has kind of offered himself to the world in a way that is, um, I don't know, what's the right word to use here? I mean, I, I used the word flamboyant previously, but it is kind of, it's almost satirical. It's like he's kind of mocking women while pretending to be a woman, his gestures and his mannerisms and all of those things. They're very caricatured. Now, we as believers, when we see somebody like a Dylan Mulvaney, what is the right response, either emotionally or even in the way we interact with somebody, if we 
happened to be sharing an elevator with a Dylan Mulvaney. What is the right response? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, when it comes to the critics that a person like Dylan Mulvaney has, you know, I think if from his perspective, anyone who isn't absolutely supporting and affirming every step of his so-called journey of girlhood is a hateful critic. You know, they're critiquing him. They're critiquing his behavior because they're a bad person. And deep down inside, they are just filled with wrath against him, wanting to hurt him. They want him to die. You know, they want terrible things for him. And I think, you know, as believers and as conservatives, when we look at the critiques that a person like Dylan Mulvaney receives, we're more able to distinguish the nuance between the types of critiques that he is receiving. You know, there there very much are people who are wishing death. They're wishing horrible things on him. And as believers, you know, we need to be the first people to condemn that. The first people to say, you know, you should not be wishing death on someone. You should not be wishing any physical harm to them or even emotional harm to them to a certain extent because of the lifestyle that they're living. But at the same time, distinguishing, you know, a certain level of critique is absolutely warranted. In fact, it's necessary. And if you care for that person, if you have any measure of real compassion for that person, you're going to be stepping up to the plate to critique them. And, and that that's actually a demonstration of compassion and of wanting to lead them on the path to redemption and on the path to living a healthy lifestyle that isn't filled with self-loathing and, you know, needing to undergo surgeries to try to find who you really are. You know, I think that that's that's a very different kind of critique. And and I think the sad thing is that Dylan Mulvaney isn't able to distinguish the difference there. Now, Ben, I, I want to, I, I, I'm going to give you a chance to answer this as well, but I just want to, for the sake of our audience, Ben Johnson's a real Renaissance man. And among other things is a, an Orthodox pastor. And so in that role, if you would, for a moment, how do you, um, how do you advise somebody who, might have a Dylan Mulvaney personality in their family or in their office. Uh, unfortunately, this is a question that's coming up more and more in pastoral ministry. And I think when it comes to this issue, we have to have a twofold response. One of them is the way that we treat the individual, and then one is the way we treat the issue. The way that we treat the individual is with overwhelming love and compassion. Whenever we see someone who identifies as another gender, we have to understand our heart should break that they are not able to accept themselves the way that they were created. And I think really intuitively, that's what Drew Barrymore was responding to in Dylan Mulvaney, although she wouldn't say it or she couldn't ever articulate it that way. She's saying, I'm my biggest critic, and Dylan Mulvaney is unable to accept himself as a male. That's really what's the connection that's being made there, in my opinion. So when it comes to someone who is dealing with that, we have to say, God loves you. I love you. In fact, I love you so much. I love you the way God created you. And I want you to help you accept yourself the way that God sees you, Uh, not the way that you will have to have a lifelong uh, battery of treatments in order to become someone else. Uh, When it comes to the issue, we have to be forthright that uh, God created two genders, male and female created he them. And this is uh, the reality that we stand on, not out of hate, but out of love, out of love for God's creation, not of love for those uh, whom he has created, trying to spare them the kind of lifelong regret that so many detransitioners like Chloe Cole and others are now experiencing. You know, I've, he- I've heard it said with respect to accepting uh, those with a transgender identity, uh, it, it, the response is, well, if you can't accept yourself, why should I? Mm-hmm. 
be required to accept you. And I think there's a, there's a valid point. It's a little bit snarky, um, but there is a valid point in that. And, and actually to the, to the, to the point of snarkiness, you know, Ben, you talk about how you deal with people, um, in a very, you know, loving, gentle way. I'm going to love you so much that I'm going to affirm the way that your creator, um, created you. And I've heard in, you know, conservative Christian circles, the response that, well, Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal, and sometimes satire and mockery is the way to just deal with evil. And there are biblical examples of that. How do you know when that is the right response to just give no quarter to, uh, to just abject evil? And the moments where it's right to just show compassion and understanding and gentleness. Yeah, and uh, to, to add to my battery of renaissance, I also used to be a stand-up comedian. So I think that there's a lot to be said for satire in the right uh, pop, proper context. Uh, that's, uh, this is one of those areas where I think it has to be offered in the right spirit to the right audience. And uh, when you're dealing one-on-one -on -one with an individual, you have to let them know we truly love you. And that's, that's the context for, for love. Uh, and by the way, I think uh, one of the most profound things that uh, I've ever read on this, and I quoted it in an article that I wrote for The Stand several months ago, but there was um, one of the most profound chapters I ever read. It was a book called Seeds of Contemplation by Thomas Merton. I disagree with him on so many things. He's to the left. He's a Catholic, and, and I'm not. But uh, uh, so we have certain theological disagreements. But he, he essentially says that God created each of us with his own idea of who we should be. And our entire journey as Christians is to find out who God believes we are and to become that. Uh, every one of us is unique and different. We all have a unique gifting. We have a unique calling. And so God asks us, live up to that. And at the same time, he says, there's this illusory person, a shadow self that we want to be, that my ego tells me I am. And that's the self I have to kill. That's the old Adam that has to die so that I can become what God intended. And that applies to all of us in every way, but especially where it comes to someone who's trying to change gender. That's really powerful, and, and that's a message that perhaps you should deliver to our president, Ben. And in some ways, you try to in an article that you wrote this week, and it's, it's titled, Biden Calls Transgender Bias Close to Sinful. Pope Francis Calls Gender Ideology Dangerous, Colonial Ideology. Now, we're going to get into this as well, and it's related to this conversation because we see here, Joy, in, in, the, in, in the article that you wrote, this example of Drew Barrymore and Dylan Mulvaney gal palling on TV and, and, you know, doing whatever their thing is culturally and unambiguously just promoting this idea that Dylan Mulvaney is now a woman and we're going to celebrate that and we're going to rejoice. And then we as real women are going to learn how to be a woman from this guy who's kind of claiming to be a woman. That worldview, that perspective has made its way into the White House where it just hasn't found sympathy. It's found advocates, right? And so what did President Biden say, Ben? Well, President Biden was uh, discussing this issue and uh, with uh, The Daily Show with Cal Penn Modi, goes by the name Cal Penn as an actor. And uh, they had worked together in the Obama administration. Cal Penn worked uh, in the Office of Public Engagement. And he mentioned that he was about to be legally wed to another man. And so Biden was discussing uh, LGBTQ issues and kind of 
slid into um, the Florida bill that says that you are not allowed to have uh, transgender surgery or hormone uh, injections and so on if you are under the age of 18. So he said, what's happening in Florida, as my mother would say, is close to sinful. So not only is he saying that uh, we should be in favor of unemancipated minors having mm-hmm. lifelong treatments, but that it's theologically wrong to Describe what, what's happening in Florida. What do you think he was specifically referring to? Well, there were two bills in Florida. One of them, uh, as I say, uh, bans surgery for un- unemancipated minors under the age of 18. They say that uh, you, you must be an adult in order to make a decision of this sort. And the other, of course, is the bill that uh, is known as the Parental Rights and Education Bill. The other side continually brands it as the Don't Say Gay Bill, which says that you can't talk about um, LGBTQ issues and sexual issues in general to children in the third grade and under, which seems like a, a very small, minor thing to ask. So he's condemning this. And at the same time, his arch pastor, uh, he, he says a lot <laughs> about how he's the, a, a devout Catholic. Right. Second Catholic uh, president in U.S. history after JFK. And his arch pastor says gender ideology today is one of the most dangerous ideological colonizations in the world. Joy, out of, why do you think he went to this overtly religious language? He didn't say, oh, I don't like that legislation that's happening in Florida. Ron DeSantis is a bully. Lots of people have said things like that, right? But he said, oh, it's sinful. Why did he use that language? You know, I think it's very intentional because, and Nancy Pelosi has done the same thing repeatedly, they try to paint themselves as some of the most influential religious authorities in the public square. Um, And, you know, certainly the president of the United States is the most influential person in the United States, you know, in many regards. And so for him to characterize himself as a person of faith is to, you know, have a certain influence over the religious community and, you know, Catholics for Choice exists, for example. You know, there are many who who waver between leaning into Orthodox theology and leaning into what the Bible really says, and those who lean into, well, this is a very authoritative person who is telling me what religion should mean, and so, you know, maybe I should listen to this very influential person. And certainly that's not a, a good worldview. Certainly that's not biblical. That's not what God calls us to, but you know, there are people in the middle there who are affected when the president of the United States calls himself a Catholic and asserts that something or another is or is not sinful. Ben, do you agree that the president is trying to act as a de facto religious leader? Uh, I agree. I think he's trying to be his own pope. Uh, You see that uh, essentially wokeness is a religion that's, that's been something that you've discussed many times over. But you're hearing this overt theological language from uh, the president, from uh, former Speaker Pelosi and others, where they're saying, we believe that uh, we believe in a certain social agenda and we believe that this is God's will for the rest of the world. Uh, it's very important for us who are Christian to understand that there is a clash of worldviews going on. And when we hear something like this, understand how confusing it is. I think it's deliberately intended to confuse. I think it's intended to affirm those who identify as Christians but don't necessarily hold to the biblical and moral teachings of the Bible, and um, to make sure that when they say this is what's happening, we say, no, this is actually what the Bible says, this is biblical morality, this is what the Christian church has taught for 2,000 years. Yeah. I refer to it sometimes as the gospel of tolerance, and I think uh, President Biden is a, uh, is a disciple of the gospel of tolerance. An apostle. And- uh, apostle, okay, an apostle of it. Fair. That's uh, yes, that, that's a better term. 
And, and one of the reasons why I think the gospel of tolerance is so destructive and why it is a competing worldview is because it was, what it does is it goes to the, the Dylan Mulvaney's and, and people who just, and then who's the luggage thief? I forgot. Oh, uh, Sam Brinton. Sam Brinton. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Right. Who was also in the administration, forgot his name for those who may not follow that story, just Google Sam Brinton luggage thief and you'll get your education, but also part of the administration, right? And the gospel of tolerance says to the Sam Brintons and the, and the Dylan Mulvaney's of the world that you were born right the first time, you have nothing to change, just live your truth, right? And the real gospel begins with repent and believe, Right. So they could not be more different places. And the more deeply the gospel of tolerance penetrates into the social consciousness, the more hostile people become to the actual gospel, which is repent and believe. Because you cannot come to Jesus if you are unwilling to change, if you will not acknowledge that there are things about you that you cannot fix that should be fixed, that, that are irreparably broken outside of the grace and the work of Jesus, right? So the gospel of tolerance, which President Biden is an apostle of, they are totally different worldviews, they are not, and, and we have so many Christians who I think, and he, he would say, of course, because he always says he's Catholic, they're trying to reconcile these things, right? There's this effort to create syncretism where we can have both the gospel of tolerance and the real gospel, but in fact, they are diametrically opposed to each other. And Ben, now I want to bring in the actual head of the Catholic Church, um, because Pope Francis seems to be at odds with President Biden on this point. Which to me says an awful lot because Pope Francis is often at odds with us, uh, quite candidly. I, I think that many times the things that he says is very confusing. So when he says something that's so clear like this, we really need to um, shout it from the rooftop, so to speak. Uh, as, as you said, uh, he was having a, a, an interview with La Nacional in Argentina, uh, which is, of course, his native country. They were asking if he was going to write an encyclical about gender ideology, and he said no, but he mentioned offhand that uh, gender ideology is extremely dangerous, his wording, and he called it a colonization theory, uh, which is, I think, incredibly important for us to understand in the West, where we're swimming in this worldview that uh, gender ideology is the norm, Sam Britton is, is the future of the world, and in point of fact, no one outside of the very educated elite uh, in this country believe this. In fact, most Americans don't believe it. They're just afraid to speak out. I, I expand on that. What do you think he meant when he said this is a colonization theory? Uh, particularly that uh, when it comes to places like Argentina and especially in Africa, those who believe in the gospel do not believe this. In fact, people who don't believe in the gospel, no one believes this outside of the United States. However, you see President Biden, for example, spending tens of millions of dollars on what he calls a global equality fund. He, it's still, it's outdated. It's called equality instead of equity. But uh, the global equality fund to promote uh, tolerance, so-called, for LGBTQ views around the world. So essentially, it's funding gay propaganda in Africa and other places. Uh, $300,000 in Botswana. Uh, all of this in order to uh, promote LGBTQ groups. So this is literally colonization in that sense. But when you ask the people who live in these countries, they say, we do not believe this. The uh, president of Uganda, uh, President Yauri Museveni, whom I quote in the article, he says, we are not going to listen to people who are lost. 
<laughs> it's, it's funny. If you listen to it, you just kind of laugh as you read it. He said, these Europeans aren't normal. They don't listen. So uh, he's saying, we, we have said over and again, we reject this ideology, and yet they keep coming back to us, demanding that we change our laws to come into conformity with the latest issue and, and the latest ideology coming out of Berkeley. I think the left has historically, at least in recent history, been very opposed to Western colonialism, and which is, I think there's a reason that he used that language is because in pursuit of cultural diversity, of course, we want to let each culture just be itself, right? Live authentically. And we don't want to impose our values or even worse, impose our morality and our religion, right? That's, that's the worst thing that the West has been guilty of for many on the left in the last, I don't know, 200, 300, 500 years, however far back you want to go, right? So that w- that is a cardinal sin on the left in many ways or has been recently. But now we find that when it comes to um, exporting, to colonizing mo- in a moral sense, uh, the rest of the world that we're okay with that. Joy, do you think when it comes to how the world is receiving us and, and, and Ben, you just mentioned, what was the term that you used that they thought we were crazy um, from Africa? Yeah, we're, we're not normal. Yes. We're not normal. That's, that, that's the phrase that you use. And lost. When they see Dylan Mulvaney as kind of like a representative of the United States, somebody who is getting a lot of attention. I don't know if what percentage of it is just like, ridicule and what percent of it is actual admiration, but getting a lot of attention. How does that play, do you think, in the rest of the world when it comes to um, deciding whether they're going to embrace these Western values? Yeah, well, I think that I'm sure that the reception is to think that we're crazy, Um, but also I'm sure that there's a lot of offense taken in other cultures because other cultures do a better job at celebrating the uniqueness of womanhood and motherhood than we do in America. You know, in, in Africa, you know, Uju Ekiocha, she's a pro-life champion. She runs Culture of Life Africa, and she's written a great book called Target Africa, where she also talks about ideological colonialism, but in the sense of, you know, abortion and a lot of other issues. Um, she talks about how the norm in in a on a continent like Africa is to celebrate motherhood, is to celebrate the conception of every new child, and to celebrate women's unique place in society because of the blessing of motherhood. You know that is that barely registers in the United States. You know, there there in the United States is a total rejection of the blessings of motherhood and of the blessings of the uniqueness of of being a woman. Um, and that is what has led us to this place of allowing biological men to present themselves as female is because we've boiled the concept of womanhood down to things as simple as wearing high heels and short skirts and lipstick. And to tell you the truth, most of my friends don't do those things. And they're still very much women. Enjoy. You paint with a broad brush there about how we've done this. But I actually still think it's a minority position here. It's a position that gets a lot of attention, and, and maybe that's a question I'll ask you. To what degree has that actually penetrated? Does this, like, feminism and femininity as costume idea that anybody can put on, how deeply do you think that's actually penetrated here? We know that the elites love it. We know that Drew Barrymore loves it, and the her gal pals, they love this stuff. But I don't think... 
most of America has embraced that to the degree. And, and we're not trying to we're not trying to export it to Africa in the in the same way that the elites are. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think when you talk about America, there's a difference between our institutions and between the people, you know, are in our institutions like academia and in government and in those spheres of influence. We have seen the erasure of women. You know, we've seen a, a reluctance to protect girls sports. We've seen prisons allowing men to reside in women's prisons, uh, you know, even if they have a history of sexual abuse and sexual assault. And so when you when you talk about America, it has permeated our institutions. But when you talk about the hearts of the American people, yeah, I still think the average person, you know, they're not willing to cede as much ground as the federal government is or as many state governments are. So, you know, there is that difference between the the brain of America and the heart and soul of America. And we have to get those guys on the same page. And well illustrated, I think, by a story this week, Wellesley College, a very famous woman's college, uh, has decided that they are not going to define woman anymore in any kind of traditional sense. So they cease to exist as a woman's college if you don't know what uh, what a woman is. Ben, I want to give you the last word on this. As we try to draw this distinction between the elites in the West, in, in the United States, and those of us who want to be normal, as, as <laughs> you described that, how do we... Um, push back to help reinforce this idea that reality exists independent of me? How do we help that our kids and our grandkids? How do we build a culture that, is, that loves truth rather than one that just embraces self-identity as reality? Well, you, you put your finger on it, which is to love truth. And as we know, truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. So to walk in his light, to maintain this faith, the real dividing line between the West and, and uh, those who are the subjects of colonization with this ideology is really faith. You know, people in Africa take their faith so seriously, they are on the firing line. Uh, there were 5,500 Christians killed last year, 90% of them were killed in Nigeria. So when you look at this, uh, these are the ones who, they are not willing to adulterate the faith because they're willing to die for it. We need to have that kind of commitment that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is our daily bread. And so we will live by that, we will embrace that. And uh, very simply, I think there's a lot of historical precedent here for us in the Soviet Union. Christians had to live underground. You had the official press, and then you had the Samostat press, you know, the underground mm-hmm. press, where they, they actually printed the truth, and oftentimes they were taken off to the gulag. One of the people who was taken there, of course, was Alexander Solzhenitsyn, yeah. and he's the one who said, one word of truth can outweigh the entire world. Yeah. So we need to maintain the truth. And perhaps we will be drug off to a gulag soon. But if we are, we trust it is for doing the truth. And may we be joined by many others who fight for it until the end, because we do ultimately know uh, that truth will be vindicated because God will be vindicated and it will be a glorious day when that happens. Ben Johnson, Joy Stockbauer, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. God bless. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. 